You're listening to 247 Real Talk. Uh, this is your host, Julian Perry. And for this episode, I'll be speaking with a guest who makes a living by tapping into homelessness crisis and Black Lives Matter movement through music, film, and comedy. I'll be right back with Gary Robinson. Good evening, Carrie. Welcome to 247 Real Talk. Thank you for joining me. We're almost an hour late due to technical difficulties, but I'm glad to have you on the show. Hey, thanks for having me on. Great. Really great that you were patient as we worked through those difficulties. Um, yeah, no problem. It happens. So it let's happens get right to it. And let's start off with, you know, tell my audience and me, you know, something about you. Who is Gary Robinson? Hey, so my name is Gary Robinson. I've been a, a video producer for about 30 years in Los Angeles. I've done a lot of commercials, promos, movie trailers for different companies like CBS, Sony, Universal, Martin Scorsese. And 12 years ago, I started writing songs, and we'll probably be talking about more of that tonight. And then eight years ago, I started doing stand-up comedy. So I've been doing kind of a variety of different things. Okay, so what, where are you from? You know, where, how, did this, how did this come into being? Who, you know? Well, I grew up in San Diego, and then I moved up to Los Angeles to work in entertainment. And I started working for Quincy Jones Entertainment when he first started the company, Quincy Jones Entertainment. And um, and then I started doing a lot of advertising and commercials, promos, movie trailers, like uh, primarily as an editor. And then, then I started writing and producing and just kind of did a variety of stuff. And then the songwriting kind of came on a fluke because um, one of my ex-girlfriends dated um, a pop star named Jeremy Jordan who starred in the movie Never Been Kissed with Drew Barrymore, and he had a top-ten hit single called The Right Kind of Love back in the 90s. And we wrote a song together about the homeless called Forgotten People. And there's a music video on uh, YouTube about it. And you just realize the power of music to bring attention to causes. And for these last, you know, definitely in the last four years or so, I think it's been very important to not be apathetic and, and to bring attention to causes we, we believe in. So... Okay, so you, you started out actually in a, in a totally different direction. You started out as purely uh, entertainment industry, and then you, it sounds like you now have a, a focus, a purpose. Yeah, I think that's evolved over the years. I mean, 12 years ago, I thought it was very important to bring attention to the homeless problems. So I wrote that song. And in these last few years, things have been so divisive politically and morally and ethically that I thought it was more important to bring attention to some of the more recent issues that have been going on. So that last song I wrote, I co-wrote is called um, The Power of One. It's about the legacy of George Floyd. Okay, so we'll, we'll get into some um, deeper uh, thoughts about that. But let's start out, let's, let's start with, let's go back to homelessness a bit because that's... Uh, uh, that's a crisis here in the United States and probably, you know, in, in many countries around the world. And it's something that, um, you know, we go about our daily lives, those who have been fortunate enough to have or have never been touched by homelessness. And we, we act like we're oblivious to it. And the only time that we seem to focus on it is when someone brings it to our attention. So 
when you wrote that song about homelessness, what was your intent? What did you want to happen uh, as a result of the song, and what actually did happen? Well, I wanted to bring more attention to the problem because I don't think you can live in a civilized society and have homeless people on the street begging for money and food and, you know, and having problems and drug problems and alcohol problems. And you have to fix these problems. I mean, these are right in front of our face all the time and we see them constantly. Um, right now it's been worse. It's been more worse than ever in, um, Los Angeles. And I know they're finally starting to work on it, but, you know, we're talking about, a number of crises. You're in the middle of a pandemic with a lot of homeless people, and that's unsafe for them at all levels and for the general public. So, I mean, so the song, you know, it, it, I think it, I like the song. I think it turned out well, and I thought it brought some attention to the problem. But obviously, the problem has gotten worse and worse. So it's something that we can't be, uh, we have to keep focusing on and uh, keep bringing attention to if we can stomp this out. And there's solutions to it, too. I mean, we've seen some very good ways of dealing with this problem. Like in North Hollywood over here, they've got communities of kind of, they call them like mini houses, basically. They're like, you know, one bedroom, very, very small houses that people can stay in that have all the amenities in a, in a safe community. And I think right now, a lot of the homeless are being moved to motels and being provided rooms and, and, uh, and food. And so that's a good uh, a step forward. But we just can't have this number of billionaires when we have homeless people on the street starving. Well, I, I certainly agree with you. I've, I, um, I'll touch on that in a moment. I'm glad you mentioned that. Um, just want to keep track of my train of thought here. So how deep did you get into the advocacy? Um, beyond the making the song, were you able to attract um, you know, others to the cause and, and were you able to attract people who are influential enough to help make a difference? Back then, not really, to be honest. Um, it's something that I, you know, I've been donating to the cause. Um, there's a number of very good, they have the Union Rescue Mission downtown. They have uh, a number of missions downtown that have been working on it for years, and I think they're pretty effective. But it's just, it's an ongoing thing. It's something I want to kind of revisit, too. But So mainly my, my, my focus has been on the music and the songs and trying to bring attention in that way. But um, I'd like to try to look at other solutions, too. Well, I, I, you know, and, and going back to what you were saying about all these billionaires in the world, there was an episode I did. Um, and I think I was actually, it wasn't on homelessness, but I was actually focusing on um, student loans and, you know, how many people are against, you know, the government wiping out student loans, et cetera. And, you know, part of my thought process was, there was, and I don't, I didn't call names, but I remember there was a specific person I'm thinking of who um, died. I don't know, uh, pretty young, and this, uh, I think, his upper sixties, and I think he was worth sixty something billion dollars when he died. And you know, by me saying that, they might eventually come to mind who I'm speaking of. But and I thought to, I couldn't, I couldn't help but thinking to myself, same thing that you know, same direction that you were going in that. Look at the homelessness in the world. Look at the people who are struggling. Look at the people who are losing their homes even to, to, to student loan debt. Look at our first responders who we were thanking for taking us through COVID, but are saddled with, with, with federal student loans. And, and then you look at people who, who were able to earn, you know, well, I mean, I don't take it away from them. They did what they needed to do and they earned that kind of money. But 
you have 60 something billion dollars and then you die. You know, yeah. it just it just seems like a colossal waste. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we can't have this kind of income inequality and think that it's not there won't be repercussions in, in society. Yes. And, and and by the way, not to put down every billionaire. I mean, a lot of billionaires are doing great things. Uh, the giving pledge that uh, Bill Gates has been spearheading has been great. That kind of inspiring billionaires to give their money back to important causes. But the reality is, these people are not going to die. A lot of them, they're going to leave their money to their families, whatever. But um, nobody needs billions and billions and billions of dollars to live comfortably. No, because it's, 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 very, it sits in stocks or it sits in the bank, whatever, liquid or whatever. But it's almost like they, they, they increase their wealth for social recognition rather than for purpose. Correct. You know, and and I was thinking as when you were calling names, I have to give credit to, um, I think it was Jeff Bezos who, when he got back from his space flight, was it yesterday or the day before yesterday? I'm not sure. Um, he gave a reporter and he gave a chef who have been um, sort of fighting a, a cause for uh, hunger and homelessness and, and things like that. He gave each of them $100 million towards their cause. So that's the kind of thing that we need to see more of. We have so many, like you said, billionaires, you know. Uh, I think Bezos is probably worth, what, $150 billion. I mean, there's just, we don't have that many years in our lives, even if we live to 100 to spend that kind of money. Right. So I agree with you 100% that there, it is an epidemic homelessness, and we need to certainly um, get more people involved and engaged in the cause. I mean, it's it's nice to... And I don't want to knock it because it's nice to do whatever you do and, and be successful at it and, and earn an income. But I, I, I do think at the end of the day that, you know, we only need a certain amount of money to be comfortable and happy as human beings. You know, we don't need to have a family of two and go buy a, a 20 bedroom mansion with, a, you know, on 100 acres with a, with a $150 million yacht. I, I, I never understand those things. Right. And that all comes back to greed. Like how much is is enough? Yes, I mean because you know we're we're not in a, a the economy doesn't have unlimited money. For me to have a billion dollars means that there's people on the streets who don't. So there needs to be some equilibrium, in my opinion. I agree with you. There needs to be. I mean, again, I, and I want to be careful because you know I've had this conversation with various people before, and I'm so glad that 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 homelessness is part of what you're 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 focusing on because. You know, people say, well, you know, well, one, you have one individual who decided to take a certain path in life. And I'm just, I'm just making a stark comparison here. And then you have another individual who worked hard and, you know, maybe got breaks or, or maybe had family ties or whatever. And, you know, and you know, did work hard to, to a large extent, maybe early in their career or whatever, or worked hard, you know, or maybe their entire life is just about work and they're, they're a billionaire. But, and I can't help but think that, you know, that is a credit to them. They did what they needed to do. But I think we need to always focus on the fact that human beings are social beings. And the fact that you get to that level and then it's all about maintaining status and, and being on the Forbes list and not about, you know, being on the list of, of, of humanity and the things you can do to help people. And, and I And I say that too. 
And I want to give you know balance to the whole conversation. So there are some homeless people who will not accept health, will not accept help for various reasons. Right. So yeah, and go ahead. I was saying that another problem is that you have the income inequality has gotten so great that you have a few hundred billionaires controlling half of the wealth of this entire country, which is an astounding figure. So that's where the balance has to come into play. But you're, you're also right about homeless people. A lot of them want to be in the streets, and some people have drug and alcohol problems that need to be handled before you can really balance, get their lives in balance and get them off the streets, too. So, you know, it's a, it's a very complex issue, but the one thing that's very obvious is that the um, inequality of wealth in this country has contributed to the problem. Yes, and then and then and then to give the homeless the homeless a certain amount of, um, I won't say credit, but credibility. You know, in, in in outreach programs, I've heard people who've done outreach programs and they've actually spoken with some of the homeless, and they'll say, you know, I I, I prefer to be out here because I go into a shelter and I get abused. Yeah. So it's it's kind of you know we 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 can't you know people you know the human instinct is is survival, and if you're offering a place for people to lay their heads and to and to take a shower and to eat and to maybe you know even do a class or two and and, and begin to to lift themselves out of their situations but you're putting them in an environment that we we create but we can't control and there and there's been some horror stories especially in New York about you know the kind of abuse that people have suffered and children have suffered with parents and that's why we see you know, some homeless mothers on the streets with their kids, and you say, why don't they go to a shelter? Well, because if you ever speak with them, they tell you they're safer outside the shelter because of things that happen within the shelter. Right. All right. So I think we we, we, we definitely made a strong uh, case about our feelings about homelessness, but now we're going to move on to the, the, the bigger issue that, uh, that one, now let me rephrase that because it's not a bigger issue. It's, it's a big issue. It's a current issue. Um, it's been in the forefront and that is the Black Lives Matter movement. And you specifically said that you wrote a song about the George, George Floyd incident, which as we know sparked, uh, protests and uh, an uproar in this country to the point that it affected to some level um, not only change but accountability. Yeah, and that's an amazing thing. And the incredible thing about it was, as you mentioned before, um, when we talked privately, is that it didn't just involve black people. It involved people of all races, of all ethnicities, and, and amazingly enough, it involved many different countries. And that's an incredible thing when you think about it, that an event here as horrible it was as it was as a as an innocent man being murdered by cops, um, at least it brought people together in a movement that spread around the world where people protested around the world uh, about that kind of brutality. So it's a pretty amazing legacy that he's created through, unfortunately, through his own death, and it's inspired a lot of people. And that's what the song's about. The song's about his legacy. Um, one of the lines is that uh, if only he could see the people he set free, he would smile from above and celebrate their love. Because my hope is that he, he saw what the, the incredible movement that he created after his death, is, you know, and hopefully that would give him some thoughts that, hey, my life was worth something. And it inspired a lot, and it may have affected the entire world, which is an incredible thing. 
Uh, yes, and, and and you're you're really getting to a deep place now, and I'm gonna I'm gonna sort of take the conversation there because you know, the the wounds are still very much open from the George Floyd incident. The wounds of his family, the wounds of people who, and there were unfortunately several clashes between the whole trial and the conviction. And you know, from when it started, there were other clashes at protests where we saw other instances of abuse. And I always make it a point on my program because I have I have several friends and a few family members who are police officers and they are, you know, the things that you hear them say, they are really kind and good people and there are a lot of good ones out there. And sometimes I think when people speak negatively about the police officer doing something wrong, they, they, the police force as a body takes it personally. And, and I think that that is wrong because... In any kind of body of people, you're going to have good apples and bad apples. It doesn't really, Correct. you know, and, and we need to accept that. They need to accept that, that when, when, we, when, when there's condemnation of, of police, it's not them as, as a body of people, but it's, it's more striving for them to recognize that when someone says that an officer did something that was incorrect, that the first conclusion cannot be, oh, that's impossible. You know, he's, no. They need to understand that they're human beings first before they're police. And you have great, like I said, I have a lot of respect for them because I know a lot of them and I'm related to some of them. But I also know that like any human being in any other industry, you have bad apples. And, and you know, George Floyd um, was, you know, unfortunately encountered someone, you know, who had the power to to police and the power to to protect and serve and that's not what he did um and you know and, and it goes deeper because you know we talked about you know you mentioned George Floyd and the, you know hoping that he could somehow know of the movement he sparked and I'm going to I'm going to um digress for a moment and I hope you don't mind but what comes to mind is what we're seeing going on even in certain states with, with voter rights now. Yeah. And the fact that, you know, it, it almost feels like you, you, you gain something somewhere and you lose something somewhere else. It's almost like, you know, you're, 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 I, I, I think I mentioned it before and I, and I sort of made an analogy to walking up a trip, uh, an escalator that's going in the opposite direction. Well, throughout American history, it's always been two steps forward, one step back. That's been a common pattern that we've seen. And, and be, by the way, before we go on to the voter rights, I just want to say I've, I did all the promos for a number of different TV programs, including Real Stores of the Highway Patrol for a while and a program called LAPD. And just to speak out for police for a minute here, too, um, they are commonly dealing with the most difficult situations anybody could deal with, like people who are you know, constantly lying or running from them or hiding drugs or a lot of things that they have to deal with. So I have a lot of respect for police. This was, you know, obviously, as you said, bad apples who did some very bad things and they got caught, thank God, on camera and they're paying the price. And, um, but yeah, but that's the song. So the song doesn't really talk about police. It really just talks about his legacy of, of what, what happened and, and what's going on from there. But going back to voter rights, I think the voter rights problem is more related to the big lie that, you know, that we got from the last election that Trump won, which he didn't even come close to winning. So the, the voter rights restrictions that they're going after, uh, a number of Republican governments in different states are going after, is a result of 
trying to carry on this big lie, like there was a problem with the election, which it wasn't at all. It was a very secure election, and they're creating a false narrative that we need to revise voter rights, and that that ability is being used against people of color, and um, and uh, you know it's another horrible thing that's happening. It needs to be fought. Well, I think that the answer to that is actually um, getting there might be harder, but it's a simple answer in the sense that we simply need um, a federal law. And yeah. once you have something that all the states are, are, are mandated to follow, then that kind of uh, neg- should negate anything else that's been put in place. Because it's, you know, and, and this, this ties in, this is actually a great conversation because this ties in George Floyd, this ties in homelessness, this ties in all the things that we're touching on here. And I think all of the things that are part of your effort to bring awareness, and that is, we historically people have been bound to a socioeconomic status and it is it is a fact that and it, and it's, it's it's not about going through how they got there it's a fact that forever we've had people who live minorities who live in poor neighborhoods who have less facilities, less capabilities, less, you know, things like transportation to get to the polls, things like uh, education to understand even, um, you know, what's going on. Some people get to the polls and they, they, they can't read or they can't write, you know, and they can't understand what they're doing in the simple voting process. And so it's, it's a much bigger problem. And, you know, the, the, the fact is that one generation begets another generation. So you have, you know, poverty just, just as a continuous uh, streak, so to speak, within families. And they, and it, it, it is, you know, people sometimes look at people from a certain part of society and see them involved in things that are illegal and, you know, and they sort of um, condemn them without understanding the issue. Now, don't get me wrong. The, if if they're if they're illegalities, they're illegalities. But they need to understand the deeper issue here, where we are we are human beings, and we're we're sort of conditioned based on our environment. I'm not, I'm not, and and so, for instance, you know, in many cases, when a homeless person and another homeless person gets together, they have a child, then that child becomes a homeless child. And it's, it's just, it just propagates and it continues. And so I don't think in, and then it goes back to what you're talking about, what you, what you're saying about billionaires and, and giving money to the cause, because I don't think we're, 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 we ever get to the root of the problem. And I think we purposely don't get to the root of the problem for various reasons. One, because I think that if, if, if the people who have the power and the ability and capabilities to, reach down to the to the belly of the beast, so to speak, and look at what these people in ver- are going through, then I think they would have to look in the mirror. Then I think life becomes too real. You know, I've, I've, I have a few friends who didn't understand anything about George Floyd, didn't understand anything about the protests, and, and I realized after a while that, you know, there was nothing prejudicial about them. Their whole lives, they lived a... Uh, um, a life of 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 in a bubble, so to speak, you know, and and um, 
a life of privilege. So the things that I tried to explain to them that you know minority may go through, they couldn't relate to because they just didn't know it existed. Right. So you were supposed to be telling your story, but you touched a point where I'm, you know of, of that I'm very passionate about. And so I, you know, it is not my intention to take over your <laughs> the conversation. No, 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 no. It, well, that's, but that's the point of these songs. That's the point of any kind of art is that we're trying to create dialogue. We're trying to make people think about things and maybe affect their action in some way or another. And, um, but that's, that's the point. Like I, I, it's hard for me to write a song that isn't important. <laughs> you know, that isn't about something important. Like I, I don't, I'm not into writing like love songs like that. I don't think that, you know, might be nice, but they don't have a big social value in a lot of ways. Right. They're very pop oriented. So another, I don't know what your feeling is going to be on this song, but one of my other songs is called Trump the Traitor. I'm not a big fan of Trump. And so I put out everything I thought about him into one song. So right. it's kind of like, it's kind of like the Billy Joel, We Didn't Start the Fire, where he just sums up everything, you know throughout history and kind of just says that history keeps on going and, and I'm giving you little capsules of history and I did the same thing about Trump in a, in a rap song called Trump the Traitor by my, uh, my stage name is DJ Sharpcut so it's on Spotify too and but um, how was that so received? I I think a lot of people well 30,000 people streamed it uh, you know I'm, I'm working on another music video for it a lot of people like it and a lot of people hate it because he has a lot of fans and he's a charismatic person and a lot of people believe um, for a brief period of time, unemployment was very low. The economy was very strong and we didn't have this virus out of control. And in my opinion, he created an image that was very deceptive and he deceived a lot of people. Now, he, um, he I, I don't think he was an effective president, obviously, because you know, he, he let this virus get out of control. He let a lot of things happen and he, he ran a very corrupt cabinet. But then you have a disconnect where the the economy can sometimes do very well, even when I think so, it's run by somebody morally bankrupt, but then it catches up. So like anybody, he's it's not completely black and white. A, a lot of people still love him. He's got a lot of followers out there still. I don't particularly think he's, uh, I, I'm not a big fan of his, and I put that into my song. Right. So I'll say two things. First, I'll say that I think that the whole issue of having um, a good economy, I think he, he came into power when the economy was good. Correct. I he was on think, the rise. Right. So he, he was the beneficiary of that, someone else's work. I, don't, I mean, and that, you know, the economy, if you ever look at it historically, it's a cycle. Okay. It's got his peaks and valleys and he came in, like you said, he was on the rise. And so he was a beneficiary of that. Um, I think that my, you know, when you put aside any kind of political beliefs, I think that my issue with, with him was more about the man than anything else. And that is that. There's a certain need, I think, you know, for anyone in, pres- in, the, in the position of a president, any country, anywhere in the world, should have a certain amount of decency. Exactly. And that was my problem. You know, the things that, and, and, and what, 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 what bothered me even more was the fact that people were able to overlook that or, or find a way to rationalize that. 
And I and I, I often wondered if it, if if he had done some of the things or said some of the things to their mother, their father, their daughter, or something, if they would have felt the same way. You know, I heard people say, you know, when when he had that thing, who was it, Billy Bush? Something. something I think it was. I don't want to call the wrong name here, so forgive me if I have. But you know, I heard people saying stuff like, "Oh, well, he's a man." So and and all of a sudden, that became okay. Right. And 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 that was my biggest problem. You know, we always going to have a cycle of of parties in this country. So always going to flip flop between Democrat and Republican. I mean, I'd be shocked if 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 we ever end up with a with a uh, president who's an independent because those two parties are so dominant. But you know, it's it's um, that that was what I I never understood about people who support someone. I mean, I guess some people felt well, I'll I'll you know I'll. I'll brush all that to the side because, you know, of the good economy. And again, you know, he was a beneficiary of something that was already the foundation that was already set. And then what's even worse, and I think this is the part of it that really gets to me. And like I said, I don't care what people's political beliefs are. I think that we should be able to have, you know, conversations about it and agree to disagree or whatever without us wanting to kill and hurt and curse each other out and all that nonsense. But... When, you know, his response, like you said, to COVID, his, his initial almost mockery of it. Um, the downplaying of it. Right. And the result, I think it was a mockery at one point, because I think he, he really felt that he got to this level of power where you know, he really felt that, you know, either there was a need to deceive or, or, or what the case was, but he, you know, he didn't think it was anything serious. And he came out publicly and he said that in the beginning, and here we are, 600-something thousand people dead later. And so, you know, that is, you know, that is, I mean, to an extent, that is almost criminal. You know, you, you take an oath and you take a responsibility to be to, for the lives of the people of the United States of America. And um, there's 600-something thousand people dead. And I'm not, you know, I'm not saying that that wouldn't have happened anyway. I'm just saying that, you know, by the time they got to the point of Operation Warp Speed, it needed more than warp speed because it was too little, too late to a certain extent. Right. We've had presidents deal with potential pandemics numerous times, and they handled it properly, and he mishandled it. He cut uh, funding to the CDC, the pandemic response team he got rid of. And going back to his, you know, here's the problem with him. I think he's a sociopath. I don't really care. I think he cares at all about people dying, in my opinion. But if you look at... Um, the moral bankruptcy that I think he has, Trump University conning people, uh, draft dodging, we know about that, the treason in Helsinki, the treason with Ukraine. It's just an ongoing laundry list of horrible representation and behavior and morality. And that's why I created that song to kind of bring attention to that because people don't remember they remember songs. They remember a few lines here and there. Right. But it all comes back to, can a morally bankrupt person do great things for the for a country? And they might be able to do some good things here and there, but inevitably the persona of that person, if he's got that much power, is going to trickle down, no pun intended, and it's going to affect a lot of people, and it did. So I think we would have way less dead, way fewer dead people if his messaging from the top was, more caring and careful, and if it was better better handled, um, we you're right. We have over six hundred thousand dead, and it, he 
one of his, he even said in his speech that it was a hoax at one point. He called it a democratic hoax. I cut a video of that too, of all, a montage of all the things he said about the virus. And it just downplayed it. And there's a lot of people in the hospitals right now who still think it's a hoax. Yes. And they say, hey, can I, is it too late to get the vaccine? And doctors are telling him, no, we're sorry, it's too late, you know? Yes, and I saw that article dying. today. Yeah, that was today. And the news keeps going. And these are reverberations of somebody who lied to his entire base, lying about the virus, lying about the election fraud that there was very little of that would affect anything. And we are, it, we're just in a very weird state because he's so divisive that there's no common messaging for the people of this country. And so you have what we're, what we're seeing now. And the then the thing about it too is that I, I have friends of mine who are supporters of his and I, and I, and I shy away from political conversations with them because well, I, I, I don't hear them whenever they go into attack mode. It's not, a, it's not defending this great record. It's attacking the current president. Right. You know, it's, it's that, that their mechanism for defense is attacking. They, you know, they don't say, well, you know, this, he did this better or what. No, they're just attacking everything that this, this president tries to do. And, and, you know, the thing about it is, I don't think there's, there's ever, you know, there are presidents who made decisions, um, that historically have, have been, have gone down in history to be great. And I'm not, I'm, you know, I would question whether when they made that decision, they had any clue that it would, it would, you know, be that great. There, there, you know, there's a sort of right place at the right time. And a lot of times those decisions are made that if they were made in a different time, they would have been catastrophic. And, you know, again, you're the beneficiary of, of a whole lot of things that, 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 you know, a whole lot of pieces that fall into place that make something, make a decision by a president become great. You know, it, it's sort of um, happenstance to, to an extent sometimes, because if, again, if you made the same decision in, in, a, in a similar situation, it might not turn out that way. You know, we're, we're, we're always so critical. We, we, you know, human beings, and again, you know, I'll tie the whole thing together with, again, with homelessness and everything. It's just, it's this whole critical nature of human beings to, uh, first of all, to be dishonest with themselves, to, to rationalize uh, to to create scenarios in their heads because they want to believe what they want to believe, irrespective of you know of logic or truth, and then there there is a need to be controversial and, and decisive. There's a need to to have someone you know to knock someone down. You know, like you 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 vote for someone who's president. Let's say let's not use the last election. Let's think of some of the election where. You know the the pres the, the person who won got you know a majority of votes from both sides, and then all of a sudden all the criticism starts. Like you know, it, it's it's a terrible place to be because once you become president, then it's like you're not supposed to be human anymore. Right. So, but I but I still you know getting back, you know, we did digress a little bit, but I think for good reason. But getting back to this whole situation of of the Black Lives Matter and homelessness and all that. I think that one of the challenges that we also face as, as a nation too is getting government to focus on these things in a different, in, in a united way. We have once again, you know, here we are in, in probably another most decisive or divisive administration. So it's very difficult to get anything done. 
who are suffering, we are suffering. You know, for political ideology, or it's not even political ideology anymore, because I don't think there's a real ideology about, you know, what happened over the, the past four years. I think that it's simply, you know, we're on the opposite side, so forget about what was right or what wrong. We just don't, won't agree with anything you want, and we'll just purposely block anything you're asking for. You know, it's a sort of like two, three-year-olds in, in a playground, you know, tit for tat. So we're not we're not getting anywhere, you know, like you said, voter rights. We're just not getting anywhere with um, many of the the initiatives that would actually help people of homelessness, that would actually make a, a movement like Black Lives Matter progress and not only progress, but at the same time, we need to educate people about what it really is. And I, and I think we're in a good place if we could grasp the now, because as as we both mentioned and, and, and you reiterated at the beginning of this conversation, when we looked at the marches for George Floyd, it was a quilt of, of this country, of every race, creed, or color in this country. So there was the, the Generation Z, as I call it, which is the generation of today, they don't see the color barriers that we did or we had to live through. Right. So... Do you also get to move your cause forward through your comedy? Uh, in a different way. I mean, I, I, I kind of, comedy is a very complex thing. And, you know, you're trying to get the laughs, obviously. When you go into social aspects of things, it can be a little touchy because you're still trying to get the laughs, but you're trying to create some awareness. I mean, I, I would say looking back to my comedy, um, it's been mainly about Trump. <laughs> I mean, not mainly, but I mean, this stuff has been socially aware. It's been about Trump. Most of it is just, you know, about my, you know, my, my marriage and my, my divorce, my, you know, dating, whatever else, like kind of more trite things that, that make people laugh. But the good thing about comedy is you can brighten people's day, you know, they can make, maybe not think about the pandemic. They cannot think about some of the problems they're dealing with. So I haven't brought as much of my politics into comedy yet as I'd like to, because also, when you're in a comedy club and you bring up like Trump or something, you might turn off 30% of the crowd. So you right. don't want to do that either. <laughs> right. So you have to walk kind of a fine line with um, with politics in comedy if you don't want to turn off your your audience. So right. I haven't brought too much into it. It's something I'm thinking more and more about. And at some point I will. But um, yeah, I haven't really mixed the two together too much yet. But at some point, at some point I'll definitely uh, include more of, of my thoughts on that that, that stuff. Well, people are very sensitive about their, you know, there's, there's, I always say their tooth conversations, depending on who the, who the, the audience is, I, I shy away from one is politics and the other is religion because people are very, very sensitive. And you're in a comedy club and you're making jokes and yet, you know, it, it should be, you know, anything is par for the course because this is comedy, but I understand that people take it personally. Right. And we evolved too as comedians. Like at one point, I was kind of an insult comic, and then I, then I create some tension in the room. And then I did a lot of crowd work, and so we we constantly evolve as comedians. And right now, we're in a very conservative time as far as uh, socially, as far as like uh, the the topics we can bring up in comedy, uh, people can get upset by. So we're kind of dialing it down, I think, overall because we've seen comedians get canceled for you know some small, you know, lines here and there, or whatever. So. You know, we keep it a little more light, I think, lately. So I, I guess right now I'm keeping more of my politics and the music and writing and uh, 
and video. I'm, I've been cutting videos to bring attention to problems too. Like, you know, we were saying about how Trump downplayed and called the virus a hoax. I, I, I did a whole montage of that cut to music. I, um, yeah, I've, so I'm using some of my video production skills to try to bring attention to some of the problems too that I see. Okay. So what's next for Gary Robinson? Well, I'm hopefully coming out with more songs very soon. I'm doing another music video for my Trump the Traitor song, the DJ Sharp Cut, and um, a lot more comedy to come, too. So a variety of video, uh, music, and comedy on the way. And you do, you, you're you going to be writing more music about social injustice? Absolutely. Yeah, there'll be a lot more, a number of new songs I'm working on right now. But it's a process. I want, I want to make these songs as good as I can so that there's a, they take time. Yeah, absolutely, because the message has to be, um, not only important and powerful, but it has to get through. Yeah, and you want to produce them well, too. I don't just want to throw it out there quickly. I want to make, make sure they're well-produced. Okay, so where can people find your, your work? Um, my video production is uh, Sharp Cut Productions on Instagram. Um, you can look for me on YouTube at Sharp Cut Productions and my music, DJ Sharp Cut, on Spotify and uh my song about the homeless, uh, Jeremy Jordan, Forgotten People, is on YouTube. You can see that right now, too. Great, great, great. So we're getting to the end of this episode, and I want you to dig deep, and I want you to leave my audience and leave me with your message. My message is that we have to go back to what this country was founded on, where we have respect for all people, all people are created equal, and I think as long as we use those guiding principles, we can get back there and we can deal with these problems in an effective way. Great, great. And that's that's a short but effective and, and to-the-point message. Um, I know the conversation that we had tonight, is, you know, people are having these conversations all over because I've walked into many different, you know, conversations and I've listened and that's what they're, you know, they're talking about. And um, it's unfortunate that the nation is so divided at this point because if we look that if we look at you know how how the votes went even though you know there was you know i think biden won by you know 5 or 7 million or whatever the case may be the point is in a large society that's not that many you know we are we are very divided and um we're divided for all the wrong reasons so I do hope that you continue to make your music, that you continue to you know, do your video production, that you, um, you know, whatever, whenever you release something that's, that's socially powerful, that you, you can certainly reach out to this podcast and, okay. and uh, you know, and make us aware of it and make my audience aware of it and so that we can promote it on, on, on my end as well. And um, I thank you for, doing what you're doing and for being honest about life and what we're actually experiencing and, you know, bringing the spotlight to, to homelessness. I think that that's something that is continuous as well and is definitely out of control. And um, as well as, as, as you know, the inequalities in this country, both, you know, the, the, the monetary, the, you know, the socioeconomic inequalities and the inequalities in, 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 in life. So, Gary, thank you so much for being on the show. As I said, I know we got a late start because of the technical no difficulties, problem. but it's been an absolute pleasure having this conversation with you. I think I spoke a little bit more than I should have, but... 
not not at all. <laughs> I want to hear from you too, and it's been a lot of fun. And thank you very much for having me on. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. a very special thank you to my guest Gary Robinson for all of the work he's doing towards homelessness and towards equality I want to thank him for being patient with the show we had some technical difficulties early this evening but he hung in there and that was the result was a great conversation I want to say thank you as always to my supporters Thank you for making this podcast possible and for making it successful. I remind you that you can listen to this episode and any of the episodes of 247 Real Talk on your favorite podcast app. If you'd like to leave me a message, if you'd like to be a guest in the show, if you'd like to pass on a question or a comment to my guests, you can email me at podcast at 247realtalk.net. That's podcast at 247realtalk.net. Net. Until the next time, be safe, take care of yourselves and each other.